So the title of today's message is Where Are You? And we're going to be in Romans 8, uh, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to start off with a little bit of a question this morning. Uh, how many people here have ever had something in their life that took a long time to get to? Um, some type of, of, of skill or preparation that, um, to achieve some type of goal that you had. For many people, or any of us who were in the military, you had that in basic training and AIT or advanced school. Uh, you had, what, 12, 14 weeks of basic training and then three to six months of whatever school you were in. I did those kind of things three different times in the military. <laughs> I used to joke with my uh, retention sergeant that he thought I was a really bad soldier because he kept sending me back to basic training. Uh, but I went through three different schools in the military, so um, I went through that experience quite a few times. Another thing that many military members were familiar with is being deployed. Oftentimes you'd be deployed far away from home with the war on terror, of course. We've had people in Afghanistan and, and Iraq and everything, and I remember I wasn't involved with that, but I was involved in the time during Desert Storm and all of that, and remembering the big red circle on the calendar that day that you got to go home. And everybody's looking forward to that day. They, they start counting down the days. You know, it's, it might be 46 days, but it was never 46 days. It was 45 days in a wake-up. You remember using, using that in the military? 45 days in a wake-up. Just trying to shorten that time down a little bit. Others of you may have spent several years in college. It may have been two-year college. may have been a four-year college. Sacrificing, giving up all your fun time. Um, studying late into the night, uh, throwing aside your vacations and hobbies to achieve the goal of getting a degree so you could do what you wanted to do for a living. Maybe some of you saved up to take a once-in-a-lifetime vacation trip. Anybody ever done that? Saved up for a couple years to go overseas or maybe see Israel or anything? It's on my bucket list. I want to see Israel someday. And you're looking forward to the time where you could actually leave and go on that trip. So, for something that many of the women here may have felt at one time in their lives was looking forward to the due date of their children. Especially over the last three months, everything starts to swell up, starts getting uncomfortable to, to lay in bed or breathe. Um, even moving around is challenging at times. Uh, looking forward to eventually helping that baby get out of you so you could... Um, sleep through the night, and then you find out that babies don't let you sleep through the night. But it's still something that, that you look forward to. Matter of fact, a woman in Ettrick this morning, I was woken up with this page also, had her baby at home. So uh, that happened again right here in Trempealeau County this morning. Somebody had their baby right at home. And this sense of longing for something in the future is pretty common in the human experience. Right now, as I was going through this, we were all looking backwards, thinking of that kind of situation that we may have had in our lives. And as a continuation of our Romans series, we've been spending the last few weeks in Romans chapter 8. Last week we asked you the question, whose are you? Whose are you? This week, the question that Paul seems to be posing is, where are you? And we're going to be reading in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Julie, if you want to come up and read that for us. Romans 18, no, Romans 8, 18 through 25. And I consider 
that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the adoption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has already, who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Thank you, Julie. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for this book of Romans. I thank you, Lord, for its very practical questions and answers that it has for us. And I ask, Father, you use this sermon to help us to understand exactly what our responsibility is during this time that we're in and how it matches with your kingdom purpose for our lives, and for our nation. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. So as we read in our scriptures this morning, we're not the only ones that are looking forward to future events. And Paul uses something called an anthropomorphism. It's a gigantic word that means giving human characteristics to something that is not human. And in so in verse 19, Paul says that creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And obviously, no one would suggest that the entirety of creation is sentient. He's not saying that creation has thoughts and emotions and awareness of being. Paul is using this kind of language to show... Um, those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and God and Savior and King, what we have to look forward to now and in the future. And as he does this, he uses this phrase to describe us called sons of God. And that phrase in the New Testament is meant to be inclusive to, to men and women. And you see that throughout Paul's writing. You've seen it in Jesus' words you see it just throughout, the, especially the New Testament. When we say sons of God, it doesn't mean that the, the, the ladies get to tune out. It means people of God. So I just wanted to make that plain, ladies. You're not off the hook and you're not getting left out. So what are the sons of God? What does he mean by saying that? Well, this term sons of God has a lot of meaning in the scriptures. To understand the term better, we have two reference points in the Bible that we should look at. The first is in Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to briefly um, explain what's going on here in chapter 6 because there is a lot of different interpretations that, that we can bring into this, uh, 
this uh, small section of scripture. Now, there are two main theories behind it. It doesn't matter as much what you believe. It's not a salvation issue, but I just wanted to bring both of them to your attention. So let's read what we're going to be talking about here in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went out to, or went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old and men of renown. Now Noah was probably the person who recorded this particular part of Scripture. And over time, through oral um, traditions and or even writing it down, those scriptures eventually came into Moses' possession, and Moses wrote it down and, and created the book of Genesis. And this, this is part of that book. And there's a lot of dispute about the meaning of verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to quickly summarize the two views of what these sons of God were. Now, one theory is that... Um, some of the angels that were cast out of heaven during Satan's rebellion took on human form and were able to make and were able to take human women as wives. And because they were they were divine beings, that they then produced this giant race that Goliath came from called the Nephilim. This led to such an abomination of the image of God within humanity, it triggered his judgment. And that judgment was the flood. There is some support for this theory in the book of Jude. In Jude 6, it says that the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their first home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. Now, under this theory, the angels who committed this abomination and this sin with human women are locked away. They are, to they are completely now kept away from humanity, and they're locked up there until the white throne judgment when everybody um, who has sinned and has not come to Jesus Christ gets thrown into the lake of fire. Any other angels that rebelled with Satan but did not commit this sin then became demons. The second theory is the one I lean a little bit more toward. It's probably a 60-40 split. Is that when Adam and Eve's son Cain killed Abel, God separated Cain from everyone else. He was driven out into the wilderness. Cain took his family and, and left that area and went pretty far away. So you had an entire race of Cain over here, and then you had the race of their next son, Seth, that stayed loyal to God. Now, this, the line of Cain didn't want to have anything to do with God at all. And they, they raised up a very sinful, very um, lascivious, very just evil people over here. And while Cain over here were, was uh, maintaining some type of relationship with God, and they would call themselves the sons of God, or the sons of, of Elohim, the Creator. 
Cain didn't want to have anything to do with that, and he called themselves, they called themselves the son of men, or the daughters of men. So when the sons of God eventually came into contact again with Cain's line, they begin to intermarry with them, and what usually happens in most situations when a, a spouse marries somebody who's not a believer, a lot of times that spouse will leave the faith also. And that's what happened here is that this, 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 the pernicious sin that was involved with the, the sons and daughters of Cain drug the sons and daughters of Seth down into um, sin and rebellion against God. Now that was bad enough. The other part that was bad with that is the fact that since Seth's line was still loyal to God, they still had the Holy Spirit working within them in some way. So they were probably much more advanced in the line of Cain. And because of those advancements, I mean, for Bronze Era, or bronze era people, they were able to probably somehow make this race called the Nephilim. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but it seems to indicate that from the scriptures. As I said, I, I kind of lean a little bit more toward the second interpretation, but it's a kind of a still a 60-40 split, almost a 50-50 split in my mind, which way we should take that. But the reason I lead, lean more toward the second is because there's a principle, excuse me, of Bible interpretation is that the Bible should interpret the Bible. The Bible should be the first thing we look at when we go to interpret the scriptures. And that makes sense, right? I mean, we don't go to try to um, figure out what's wrong with your Toyota by consulting a book on GM cars. The same is true of the Bible. We can have thousands and thousands of commentators give their opinion, but the better way is to let the Bible speak for us and to accept that. And using this idea... Paul gives us the New Testament meaning a few verses earlier in Romans 8 of what the sons of God are to be about. And in Romans 8.14, it says that those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Very simple interpretation there. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the sons and daughters of God are supposed to be people led by the Spirit of God. Today we have a word for that. Christian. That's what Christian is. Someone who follows Jesus Christ, who is filled with the Spirit of God, and is willing to live for, for Him and His purposes. And we're the only ones on this planet who have the Spirit of God living both within us and being upon us in power. Now, what we, now that we've looked at who we are, let's look at how Paul describes creation in relation to us being the sons and daughters of God. So in the current state of creation, Paul gives several descriptive words in relation into us coming into our roles as sons and daughters of God. So it says here that creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. There is a waiting going on. In the introduction to the message, I mentioned that there are several different ways in our lives that we've had to wait for long periods of time to eventually get to a goal that we have within our own lives. And that's a sense of what Paul is trying to explain to us right now in regards to the world around us. 
And I know there's probably an objection starting up in, in people's minds that the last thing this world wants to hear right now is the name Jesus. Unless somebody's using it as a curse or some type of explanation or exclamation. And right now, it seems if you proclaim the name of Jesus, you're automatically labeled as some intolerant bigot or closed-minded individual, and you just need to be silenced. You notice that we've forgotten how to talk to each other now? We can't have a, a reasonable discussion without just getting stomped on and, and silenced and, and people calling us all kinds of names? Well, there's no longer any upside to this world of calling yourself a Christian. Back in the day, if you didn't belong to a particular church, you were considered to be kind of an outcast. Now, it's, it's almost a badge of honor. Being a Christian, especially a Bible-believing Christian today, is more of a liability than it is an asset. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been asking God, God, what is going on? What, what, how are we supposed to be adjusting to this? What, what are we supposed to be doing? I've been looking at the world as it exists today. And I've been comparing it with scriptures like Matthew 24, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Thessalonians, where it describes people in the end times as wicked and, and God-hating. And, and then I ask God, well, how can I reconcile those kind of scriptures with what Paul is saying here? How, how can a God-hating creation want the sons of God to be revealed? Well, God led me to, to remember an experience I had with my youngest daughter. My youngest daughter had some difficult teenage years, as a lot of daughters do, or a lot of teenagers do. And she was probably the most spirited and, and rebellious of the two girls. And in fact, she was the one that I really, um, when I was thinking of moving up here, I'm like, do I really want to leave her alone in Kenosha? you know, to fend for herself. I mean, she was over 18. She was 19. And she was of age. She was living on her own. But I'm like, do I really want to just leave her alone? And Because we had had a very rocky relationship for a couple of years, um, just a lot of the teenage drama. She didn't like that I saw things as right or wrong, black and white with most things. She exists in the gray area. She thought I was too rigid. You know, the, the typical kind of teenage stuff that that some kids will go through and and a couple years ago she posted on her social media about how much she appreciated having me as a father she knows that even if she still doesn't agree with me on many things she knows that i'm a hard worker and that i always have people best interests at heart even when i disagree with them she said even though i was sometimes strict a strict parent she sees now why I was like that and appreciates that because she sees a lot of me in herself. And I give you this example to say this. Our world, particularly in America right now, is filled with a lot of immature, selfish teenagers masquerading as adults. Doesn't it kind of feel like we have all dissolved to a high school locker room? Doesn't it feel like we're back in high school? You have the popular kids over here, the not popular kids over here. You have your nerds, your jocks, your burnouts. Your, you know, I mean, it just seems like we've all 
gone into our own camps and just lobbing rocks at each other. And I think the reason that so many people in America are like this right now is because there's been a vacuum of good parenting and even more importantly, a lack of biblical training. Too many churches and ministries over the last 20 years have had the wrong focus. They started being concerned about social justice causes and being culturally relevant instead of working to bring people into salvation. You see, my philosophy has always been get a person to where they need to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ and all of that other stuff works its way out. You need to get them into relationship with God and let God sort out the issues. My job is to tap them in the right direction, maybe poke them occasionally with the shepherd's staff, or if they're going too far, grab them with the hook and pull them back. But we have to be willing to do this with the people in the church and not just pat them on the head and tell them it's going to be okay. In other words, the world is waiting for the true Christians to please stand up. Be willing to take the abuse. Be willing to take being made fun of. Be willing to take even some hatred from people so that we could, they can see us stand for the truth and so that they can see we believe what we believe and we will not be moved. Too many Christians are in retreat today when we should need to be the ones that stand, take the abuse, and let the people see that we really believe that what we believe is really real. Too often we back down too quickly. And that's why you see the next description of the world. In verse 20 where it says that the creation was subjected to frustration. I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a pretty frustrating year. A very trying year for our church family. I know for every one of you, both corporately as our church family and for me personally. For us and, and for me personally, it started with Pastor Roger dying. I had a nightmare about that the other night. I never have nightmares. Then it started with... a. Then, right after that, during his funeral, we had that major plumbing disaster that I was worried would almost bankrupt our church. Followed almost immediately by the coronavirus lockdowns. We had to shut down the church. We couldn't even, we couldn't even meet. Then, when everything started to relax, we thought, okay, looks like we're getting back to normal. This thing is, is, is starting to, 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 to get better. The George Floyd incident. Spark protests everywhere in the nation, destroying, destroying parts of Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, and now, like last week, Chicago. The Miracle Mile in Chicago, the richest, one of the richest parts of the Midwest, destroyed and looted. There's been a lot of people and a lot of experts that talk about the psychological impact of all this chaos on your average person. And I, can, I, can, I stand as witness to that. I work in an emergency department 
number of psychiatric cases we see right now are, are, and, and people that we have to find mental health inpatient beds for is just skyrocketing right now. And I think the biggest feeling everyone has right now is frustration. We're frustrated with our government, changing their minds seemingly everything, every week about coronavirus statistics and, and methods used to combat it. People are frustrated over a lack of support for the police, or on the other side, they're frustrated we have police to begin with. Now we're coming into the season of the general election for president, featuring on one hand a man who acts like a bull in a china shop, who's our president, and on the other one, we have a, a man of questionable mental acuity who everybody's just kind of winking at going, yeah, just vote for him. We're really voting for the vice president. I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but okay, that's what I guess we're going to be doing. And this person that he's running with is a pretty divisive figure who's on the radical side of her party. So in other words, buckle up. It's going to be a rough ride. Get ready for some fireworks. But what's at the root of all this frustration? Where is all this coming from? Well, let me tell you, it's not the coronavirus. It's not racial injustice. It's not an overreaching government. It's not supporting our, our police or supporting disbandment. It's not if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, or conservative. It's an entirely spiritual issue. And here's the truth that's often lost in every single one of these arguments. And that's the fact that humanity is a spiritual creature having a temporary fleshly human experience. That's why when we can ignore the spiritual, we ignore the essence of who we are. And we try to live, and then that's why we try to live only as fleshly beings. And when we try to fix the spiritual with the flesh, chaos. That's why the country is why it is, or like it is right now. We try to fix it with flesh when it's a spiritual issue and we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit that we have drifted far away from God. And that's why we get or this is, this is where all this frustration and anger and anxiety and hatred is coming from. It's because we're living according to the wrong nature and it causes frustration throughout the world right now. That's a problem. No one really understands who they are. Or whose they are. It's very disconcerting. It's very troublesome to people. And that's why all this garbage is spilling over into what we see on the nightly news. You want to know what causes transgenderism, what causes homosexuality, what causes all those issues that, that we as Christians kind of woke you from? It's because they don't know who they are. They don't understand that God is calling them to themselves, that God has placed eternity within their hearts, and, he, and that they're trying to use all these fleshly things to fill that hole and finding out that it is still empty. If you're thirsty for water, sand will not satisfy you. And our entire creation, our nation, our society is frustrated waiting for the sons and daughters of God to rise up and let them know who they are and whose they are. 
and what He expects from every single one of us. So I would ask you this morning, where are you, sons and daughters of God? Are you being ambassadors for the kingdom that they are actually looking for? Because all of this garbage we're living through right now is a result of people being spiritually lost, spiritually blind, and spiritually deceived. All this sin that we, that we fret about and, and talk about, all this evil, all this deception, all this wickedness is a spiritual symptom of a disease that's happening right now, and it's the lostness of these people trying to discover who they really are. And that explains the third description of creation today. And that description is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I mentioned this morning there was a, a baby born not too far away from here at home. And I, but I, and I think that's just a great illustration and a great way to describe the needs of the world right now and how it feels. And I think it's the number one example that we see in Scripture to describe the longing in the hearts of humanity for God is a description of the woman in labor. That's something I, I've witnessed. I've delivered babies. But I can't really comment on personally because I'll never know what it feels like to have a baby. I'll never know what that, what that nine months feels like and especially those, those last few hours of the pregnancy will feel like. But I never really have an idea of what, the, uh, of what that woman is going through. I know invariably, right before the end, most women will tell you that they feel like they can't go on. They're pushing, they're pushing, baby's not moving, they're exhausted, they're covered in sweat, they're crying, they're like, I just can't do this anymore, I'm too tired, I'm too tired, we have to coach them. Keep going, keep going, keep going. They feel like they have nothing left. They've been striving and, and trying and, and pushing and nothing seems to be happening. And that just seems to be such an apt description of our spiritual condition in our world today. Exhaustion. How many people wake up in the morning feeling exhausted lately? How many people feel the pain, both spiritual, emotional, and mental? Virtually every pastor or Christian leader I talk to speaks of being so exhausted that they feel like they have nothing left. Because guess what? This stuff affects us too. And if it's like that for the leaders in the church, I can't imagine how it is for the person in the pew. Now imagine, we have the Holy Spirit, we have Him helping us, we have Him sustaining us, we have Him energizing us, and trying to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. But imagine how it is for the people who don't know God. And you have an explanation for the evening news. So that begs the question, where are you? At the beginning we asked that question. And it's based off of verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. 
One of the reasons that we are losing this culture war right now is because we've bought Satan's lie, that there's a difference between me standing here and you sitting there. Yes, do I have a different job? Yeah. But if you are a Christian, you are called to the ministry. It's the greatest trick that Satan's ever played on the church is to convince him there's a difference between the clergy and the laity. So I say this very plainly, you're all called to the ministry. He didn't say, Jesus didn't save you to sit, he saved you to serve. The scripture did not say that the creation waits in eager expectation for the ministers of God to be revealed. He said the sons of God, everyone is included with this. Creation is waiting for all of us to be able to make a stand, take a stand, and work however we can for Jesus in this last day. Amen.